Section 10 of The Lieutenant and Others. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Phil Schempf. The Lieutenant and Others by Sapper. The Coward. To comprendre, c'est tout pardonner. James Dawlish's soul was sick within him his tongue was cleaving to the roof of his mouth parched and dry his eyes gazed dully out of his white face at the pack of the man in front of him who like himself and fifty others crouched huddled up in the ditch beside the road away in front stretched the pave road gleaming white in the dim light of dusk the road that ran straight as only french roads can until topping the rise three-quarters of a mile ahead it merged into the darkness of the two lines of trees that guarded it and twenty yards beyond that rise lay the german lines then suddenly it came again out of the silent evening air the sudden salvo of six sharp hisses and six deafening cracks the angry zipping of high explosive shrapnel through the trees over his head the little eddies of dust in the road the little thuds in the banks of the ditch where he crouched put baldly in the language of the army the germans were searching the road with whizbangs and had been doing so for twenty minutes and the soul of james dawlish was sick within him all around him men were muttering laughing cursing each after his kind in front an officer very young very new was speaking to his sergeant major what he said is immaterial which is perhaps as well as he did nothing but repeat himself the sergeant major was a man of understanding grown as used to shells as men may grow for that matter so had the others they were not a new regiment james dawlish was not new either it was not his baptism of fire he had been shelled many times before but for all that he was afraid terribly horribly afraid the psychology of fear is a strange thing it is perhaps paradoxical but i venture to think that without fear there can be no bravery bravery that is in the true sense of the word there are i believe some men who are without fear literally and absolutely fearless such a condition of mind may be induced by sincere fatalism but i rather think in the majority of cases it is due to a peculiar and fortunate twist of the brain inasmuch as one man will without thought dive forty feet into the sea and enjoy it so will another whose limbs would tremble at such a thought boldly enter a cage of lions temperament temperament only at the bottom of it and so it may well be that were the wonderful soul-stirring heroism of some v c to be weighed in the balance of mind and soul rather than in the balance of deed he would be found less worthy to hold that coveted ribbon than a man whose sole contribution to fame was that he didn't run away not so james dawlish with him fear seemed to be cumulative each time he came under fire his terror of it increased with most of us who lay no claim to be without fear sooner or later a merciful callousness settles down 
not that if we think about it our dislike of the genus obus is any less far from it but as time goes on and a man does not get hit though one day the dugout he had just left was flattened by a crump and another the man he was talking to was killed before his eyes though he may have had a hundred narrow escapes yet in time it becomes to a greater or less extent his natural element a part and parcel of his life a thing of routine as much as breakfast more so in some cases but that man is no braver now than he was more fearless perhaps but no braver it is then with most of us the factor of custom that pulls us through the mill and preserves our reason but to james dawlish that factor was denied fate had decreed that the brain of james dawlish should be so fashioned that no immunity from death in the past should detract one iota from the hideous terror of death in the present every tour of duty in the trenches he died a thousand deaths he saw himself left dying between the lines stabbed in a sudden german rush the recipient of the attentions of a black maria he pictured to himself countless forms of death each one more unpleasant than the last only the routine the discipline of the army had held him up to date that and the complete lack of opportunity to run away it is easier said than done to run away from the front-line trenches especially when things are quiet which all boils down to the one essential fact that james dawlish was a coward in the true sense of the word hundreds of men have lost their nerve temporarily hundreds of men huddled in a scratch in the ground with their senses deadened and crushed by an inferno of bursting shells have done things which the thoughtless dub cowardly men suddenly exposed to gas with no means of protection men waking to find the trench full of liquid fire these and countless other cases no man may judge unless he has stood beside them in similar circumstances and not have been found wanting but james dawlish was not one of these to him every moment of his life was a living death a torture worse than hell if one looks back to the cause of things it was i suppose his misfortune and not his fault he had been made so fear was a part of him and pity rather than contempt is perhaps the fairest feeling to entertain for him he could no more help his state of permanent terror than a cat can help its dislike of water get up the word came down the line the shelling seemed to have stopped the men in front of him were moving off up the road but still he remained a man tripped over him and cursed but james dawlish sat fumbling with his puttees no scheme was in his head he had no intention of not going up to the front line but clear out of the jumble of his thoughts in his brain was his feverish desire to postpone if only for five minutes his nearer acquaintance with those great green flares that lobbed into the sky so near him he could almost hear the faint hiss as they fell burning to the ground god how he hated it then they started shelling a crossroad a hundred yards behind him and he cowered still closer in the ditch almost whimpering for it had suddenly struck him that he was alone his platoon had gone on and left him 
he had not even got the faint comfort of another man beside him he was alone utterly alone on a shell-swept road with an occasional spare bullet pinging down it and the trees throwing fantastic shadows around him then suddenly above his head he heard voices and the soft thrumming of a motor they'll stop hating in a moment and then we'll rush it said a voice james dawlish looked up and in that moment the idea was born in his bemused brain safety away from those cursed shells away from those hissing green flares what matter the right or wrong what matter the penalties nothing entered into his calculations saving only the thought of escape and so with infinite caution he got out of the ditch and approached the driver of the ambulance as if he had been coming down the road give us a lift mate will you he asked casually right ho hop in they've stopped shelling the ambulance was off the driver unsuspicious many isolated men walk about behind the trenches at night and anyway it was none of his business thus it came about that number one two three four private james dawlish of the second battalion of the loamshires when on active service deserted his majesty's forces now thomas atkins alone in a strange country despite all the rumours to the contrary is a somewhat helpless individual he will generally contrive to feed himself and he has an infallible instinct for spotting those estaminets that contain the unpleasing liquid which passes as beer in flanders but when it comes to getting from one place to another he gives up the unequal contest and throws himself on the mercy of the nearest officer and this was precisely what james dawlish could not do in the first place he didn't know where he did want to go he didn't much care so long as he kept out of the trenches and in the second place he was quite an old enough soldier to realize what he had done and what was far more to the point to realize the penalty death or such less punishment as in this act mentioned detection he knew would not come from the regiment too many men are reported missing for his absence to evoke any awkward questions it was the people behind he had to fear military police assistant provost marshals and such like abominations to the evildoer if only he could lie hid for a time and finally borrow someone else's clothes and disappear that was his half-formed play hazy and nebulous true but anything anything on god's earth rather than go back it was while he was turning it over in his mind with no clear idea of where he was going that rounding a bend in the road he saw a few miles off the monastery that is set on a hill and which forms one of the few noticeable landmarks in flanders the monastery where the cavalry had had a skirmish in october last and the monks in their brown cowls and cassocks buried the result there were english troopers and german uhlans and also there was a german prince and this monastery set on the mont de Cats, came back to james dawlish as an old friend had he not billeted in the village at the foot of it with the unpronounceable name when he first came to the front no need now to ask his way he would go back to the village where there was a girl he knew of and she would help him and so with a comparatively light heart he started 
and in the course of a few hours he found himself at the farm which had been his first resting-place in france now it is quite possible that were it not for the extraordinary paucity of girls whom one may look at without smoked glasses in this delectable country james dawlish might have staved off the inevitable for quite a time when he left the ambulance he had carefully buried in a pond his rifle and equipment and any one meeting him strolling down the road would have taken him to be merely a man from a unit resting to make things more sure he had removed his cap badge and the titles on his shoulder straps there was nothing whatever to show what he belonged to he was merely a disreputable atom of the big machine in much damaged khaki but as i have said there was a girl in the case and moreover she was a girl who had been very kind to james dawlish earlier in the proceedings she really had been quite fond of him but when he went away and the place knew him no more being a girl of common sense she transferred her attentions to his successor as a matter of fact there had been several successors as regiments came and went the intervals being filled with the semi-permanent sheet anchor who stood for several hours each day at the crossroads by the church in the village with the unpronounceable name and this sheet anchor who watched men come and watched men go was a corporal in the military police it was during one of his innings with the fair maiden that james dawlish tactlessly arrived on the scene and when the corporal made his appearance in the evening having successfully carried out his arduous duties regulating the traffic during the afternoon he found the object of his affections planted firmly in the arms of an extremely untidy and travel-stained private it is perhaps unnecessary to state that annoyed as the corporal was at this untoward intrusion on his preserves his feelings were harmonious compared to those of private dawlish to run full tilt into a red cap as tommy calls them was the last thing he had intended doing and a glance at the corporal's face told him that the corporal was out for blood who the ell are you and what's your regiment he remarked tersely looking at his badgeless cap and james dawlish knew the game was up he didn't even know what regiments were in the neighbourhood if he had he might have lied and tried the bluff so he said who he was and named his regiment the loamshires said the corporal second battalion but they're in the trenches for my brother's in that there battalion the military policeman looked at him mercilessly what are you doing here my lad and this time james dawlish was silent there was nothing to say to an officer he'd have lied uselessly perhaps but lied on principle to a corporal he knew the futility two minutes later the door closed behind them and they passed down the street thus it came about that number one two three four private james dawlish of the second battalion of the loamshires was apprehended by the military police and placed in the guardroom of the village with the unpronounceable name to await the investigation of his case by the a p m or assistant provost marshal of the district and now the inevitable end must be written there is not much to tell the whole thing was plain the a p m investigated the case and it stood revealed in its hideous bareness there was not a single redeeming feature it was no case of a man's nerve temporarily breaking under some fearful strain 
where now in the wisdom of those in high places a man may work off his slur by returning and trying again it was just a simple case of cowardice and desertion in the presence of the enemy and for it there was no excuse that james dawlish was made that way may have been his misfortune but if that were taken as an excuse a good many men might find themselves sitting quietly in villages with unpronounceable names while their pals lost their lives further east so in due course james dawlish stood before a court-martial the evidence was heard and then the accused was marched out ignorant of his fate the court is closed to consider its finding thus spoke the president a major in the infantry and when the door had closed he turned to the junior member a subaltern of gunners and his face was grave it is the law of courts martial that the junior member gives his idea of the adequate sentence first in order that he may not be influenced by what his seniors have said what is your opinion asked the major the subaltern drummed on the table with his fingers and stared in front of him death or such less penalty the word seemed stamped on the wall for a space he was silent then he swallowed twice and spoke the major glanced at the captain and the captain who was gazing fixedly out the window turned slowly round and nodded i agree he remarked incisively the major looked at the papers in front of him and mechanically produced his cigarette case then he wrote and his hand shook a little and though the major and the captain and the subaltern had one and all looked on death many times unmoved yet that night they were strangely silent to those who insist on the hundred and first chapter i can but quote the following bald announcement that appeared in a document of surpassing dullness known as general routine orders it had a number which i forget and it was sandwiched between an interesting statement about exchanging french money into english and a still more entrancing one on the subject of the regimental debts act moreover it was labelled courts martial and ran as follows number one two three four private james dawlish second battalion the loamshires was tried by a field general courts martial on the following charge when on active service deserting his majesty's service the sentence of the court was to suffer death by being shot the sentence was duly carried out at four a m on august third and the only thing which gives a man to think is that about six hours after they laid that poor dishonoured clay in the ground the manager of a large emporium at home was pleased to promote one of his shop walkers from the glove department to a sphere of activity which concerned itself principally with stockings i don't know why stockings were more highly paid than gloves in that emporium but no matter the point of the thing is the shop walker his name is dawlish augustus dawlish he used to look down on his brother james soldiering is not a genteel occupation compared to selling stockings i suppose he'll do so still more if he ever learns the truth End of section 10.